Welcome to the Practical Idealist Podcast, aligning what is good with what is possible. I'm your host, Allison Bueller, Director of the Homestead Education Center. Our focus on this show is real change that improves health, home, and community. On this week's show, we're talking about bees. May Berenbaum, an entomologist from Silence of the Bees, a PBS Nature show, says that pollinators are what ecologists call keystone species. You know how an arch has a keystone. It's the one stone that keeps the two halves of the arch together. If you remove the keystone, the whole arch collapses. Scientifically, we know that bees are important and interconnected with our survival. But following this week's guests on social media has piqued my interest on what else bees have to teach us. Allie Pinion is a, a bee enthusiast, to put it mildly. She's going to join us today on the sacred art of bee tending. I think she calls it bee guardianship. This program is brought to you by the Homestead Education Center, a nonprofit organization in Starkville, Mississippi. Our online and on-site information, events, and workshops are supported entirely by our members. If you like what you learn at the Homestead, or like what you hear on our podcast or see online, jump on over to our membership page on the website and sign up for the level that's right for you. For the, as little as the price of a fancy coffee a month, you can keep our programming coming. Go to www.thehomesteadcenter.org. That's www.thehomesteadcenter.org. We're coming up on our seventh year as an organization with our Women's Wellness Retreat, January 18th to 20th. This is a weekend designed to help women reset for the new year within a supportive community. And this year's keynote speaker is Santi Izel Johnson on aligning your life with joy. She is amazing. If you haven't signed up yet, please grab your spot. We're starting to fill up. We also have a special spring membership package available for people who want to jump into the homestead. For $50, the whole family can attend our Eating with the Seasons Winter Potluck, our Pruning, Planning, and Canning Workshop, our Gluten-Free Cooking and health, Gut Health Workshop, the Family Night Hike, Eating with the Seasons Spring Potluck, our Annual Crawfish Boil, our Natural Health Expo, and the Family Pool Party. That's all for $50 per family. There is no better deal in town for the holidays. And that's available on our website at www.thehomesteadcenter.org under Join Now. I'd like to introduce you to one of the most curious minds that I know. I met Allie when she was still a student at the university almost 10 years ago. She finished her traditional schooling in landscape architecture and received a master's in health promotion. But her learning really started once she finished school. She and her husband began a pasture-raised poultry and pork farm that delivered healthy meat all over the state. Meanwhile, Allie became fascinated with women's health and sexuality, which sent her off on a whole new set of studies. She's one of the favorite presenters at our Women's Wellness Retreat every year. And most recently, Allie has become obsessed with bees. I love following her excursions, and I'm so excited for her to share what she's learning with us today. Welcome, Allie. Hi, Allison. I'm Yay. glad to be here. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad you're here. Can you start by telling us a little bit about you? You've had a, such an exciting journey for such a young person um, and how you became so excited about your current field of study. 
Yes, well, I've always had a, I guess, interest in the natural world, and I've always had a deep passion about taking my life and, I guess, finding ways to make the future better and to preserve the planet as best as I could. I've always been passionate about food and community living, and so farming just really came natural to me. Um, when I was studying landscape architecture, I was really interested in designing school systems that had agriculture programs where the children would get to farm their food and learn about the food system and nature firsthand. And as I got older and realized that was more of a dream and there wasn't so much funding for that sort of um, school system, especially in the South, that um, I had to find a, something a little more realistic. And um, my partner, uh, Dustin Pinion, at the time, he was studying horticulture and he started doing um, internships with farms around the country learning about agriculture and how to improve the soil and surrounding habitat. And from there, um, everything just sort of blossomed. I, I studied permaculture in landscape architecture. We were very lucky to have such a great program at Mississippi State. And that's where I was first introduced to bees. Um, I learned that you really don't have very many food options if you don't have bees pollinating our, our fruit trees, our flowers, our vegetables, um, the things that we enjoy eating, but also the things that we enjoy seeing, um, the beauty in the landscape. And I've read somewhere that about a third of our food crops and flowers would be non-existent if we didn't have bees to pollinate them. And I um, had a bit of a health crisis began in a, around 2015 and I started learning about meditation and embodiment and grounding practices and kind of listening to my body more and I decided that I um, was going to choose a word for the year, and that word was going to be patience. And I started looking into patience and things that might help me develop more of that, and I found beekeeping. And I knew that I was very interested in that from many years ago. And the more I read about it, the more I found that many cultures over centuries, over thousands of years, have used beekeeping as a spiritual practice and also as a person who enjoys making my own fermented honey wine or also known as mead, I thought it would be nice to have my own source of honey. Uh, so I guess that is how I started my journey. Yeah, and you didn't grow up like this. Can you talk a little bit about you and um, Dustin's background? Sure, yeah. So we grew up in, we actually met in uh, fourth grade <laughs> and uh, we started dating in high school, but he and I, uh, I guess we both came together because we had a little bit different thinking about um, agriculture and the future of food. 
And in the Mississippi Delta, um, instead... That's where you're from. That's where I'm from, correct. Um, Indianola, to be particular. But there um, is not many food crops being grown there. It's mostly corn and soybeans and cotton. And my dad is actually a farmer of all of those three. And so I grew up in the farming lifestyle. And I grew up with the connection to the land from an early age. But um, I couldn't really eat those foods. So even though I had a connection to the land, I didn't really have a connection to my food. And so when Dustin and I were farming in the Delta, we um, helped with a lot of those city school projects where we developed community gardens within the schools. And the Delta is really starting to come around and a lot of farmers are starting to grow food for human consumption there again. Um, but yeah, I had a totally different uh, background in agriculture growing up than what I studied in, in college and in my own studies. Yeah, I just wanted people to, to know that. We, we often end up a long way from where we begin. I want to start by having you explain why bees are so important on a practical level to us. What exactly do they do for us as humans? Well, there's many things that they do, but we can start with what I mentioned earlier about our food system, our food crops. Um, most of the food that we eat, or at least a third of the food that we eat, would not be existent without bees. Um, there are some places in Asia, I believe, that they're actually having to hand pollinate some of their foods. And I think that also dates have to be hand pollinated. Um, so it's a lot of work to hand pollinate something. <laughs> so just to have flowers and food in general, but bees also provide us with so much great medicine. Um, of course, honey is a wonderful medicine, and it is being used in uh, bandages in burn units. They actually have a layer of honey inside the bandages for people who have been uh, wounded by fires. They even slather honey on, you know, second, third degree burns so that it can, it has antimicrobial, antibacterial properties, and it's just so very healing. Not to mention it's really tasty and has provided sustenance for humans for thousands of years. Um, the Egyptians being one of the main um, peoples who revered honey, revered bees and utilized honey in their daily diets. Um, but also we have to think about our other species of bees besides just honeybees. Um, we have about 300 species of bees in the United States. Honeybees are not native to the United States. Um, so we have to think about those other plants and flowers and trees that are pollinated by our native bees. And like you mentioned before, they are a keystone species. So when they go, then other animals and other species start to have that trickle down effect where they start to leave as well. Now, I know, I mean, everybody has heard about the colony collapse on honeybees, but what about the native species? Are they struggling at all? The native species are struggling, and a lot of that is due to habitat loss. Um, you know, when we take land and we clear cut it and we build buildings or homes and things on it and we don't replant with native plants, 
or plant anything at all, we're taking away habitat that is not coming back for these different species of bees and um, other pollinators. I mean, wasps and things like that are pollinators as well. So we have to think about that too. Um, and some beekeepers in the preservation beekeeping worlds will say that our relationship with the honeybee has also caused um, collapse of colonies. And what I mean by that is in, the, in some industrial scale beekeeping, like on large almond orchards and large uh, orange orchards, they're only providing one crop. So that's only one source of nutrients for that bee. And, you know, we can't survive as humans off of just one type of food. So it's weakening those species of bees through only providing one type of food source. And so what some of the people who have almond orchards are doing is raising other plants underneath the almond trees to help bring in other native pollinators, but also provide a diversity of sources of food for bees. That's good. People are figuring out solutions, and I'm so glad that you're, uh, you're among them. Let's talk a little bit about how bees do their job. St. Francis de Sales wrote, the bee collects honey from flowers in such a way as to do the least damage or destruction to them. And he leaves them whole, undamaged and fresh, just as he found them. Talk about what we can learn from watching how bees work and live. You've, you kind of mentioned that just now in your last statement. Well, see, this is where the obsession comes in for me. <laughs> <laughs> because it's so funny, the more that I study bees, and anyone who studies bees will say the same thing, the more that you learn about them, the more you know that you don't know anything. And there are so many bee scientists who will tell you that they've been studying bees for 20 or 30 years, and they're just scratching the surface, and they still have absolutely no clue. Um, there's just so many things that they inherently know how to do that we just can't figure out why they do it. And everything that they do is for a purpose. They don't really waste any energy because they work so hard to have that energy in the first place. And their energy is coming from collecting the nectar to turn into honey. And their honey is their sustenance besides their royal jelly, which is what they feed the bee babies. But um, the Germans, they have a word for a bee colony, and I hope I'm not butchering the pronunciation of this, but it's bin, and it's spelled B-I-E-N. And what it, the word, that word encompasses the hive community because bees can't live as a single individual bee, or honeybees at least, can't live as an individual. They are a super organism, which means they live together in a group. They depend on one another for the other's survival. And so I really like that the Germans have included that, a whole new word, just for that. They have more... I feel like they have more reverence of the bee because of the way they describe it. Um, and bees are dependent upon their ancestors and their future generations, which I think is something that we can really learn from as humans because we don't really tend to take lessons of from ourselves of the mistakes that we've made or the people who've come before us. So 
bees really learn quickly and there's even some scientists doing some studies on the bumblebee and how they are taking little balls and getting the bumblebee to move the ball to a certain area and get a treat for it so it's just really cool how quickly that they can learn and they can take another bee who has just watched that bee do that task once and that bee has learned from the other bees errors and doesn't have to make their own errors so I think that's really interesting and um, another thing that I've learned is uh, one of my favorite authors Jacqueline Friedman wrote the book called The Song of Increase and in that book she talks about how bees are um, really great at their job and knowing that they need to do their best and give their most and do their best at each task. So I think that we can take a lesson from that in our relationships and our partnerships. So if we do our best in life and we encourage and help others do their best in life, then we can come together and support each other and have a greater community. And also if we are able to take that and think about partnerships in a way that you know sometimes we call our partner our other half but then that means that we are not a full person right hmm. so if we can do our best and be our best and help our partner do their best and be their best then we can come together and be even better together and that's what the bees are doing they go out each day they know what they have to do they go and do it and they come back and they support the greater good of the hive and I think that that is such a strong lesson that we can learn and also bees are great with communication um, they know how to clearly communicate with one another and they communicate in one way, which is, I think, the most awesome way ever, and that's dancing. They actually will do a dance to show other bees where honey is, or where nectar is, or where a water source is, or um, in one, one way that they decide where they're going to move to a new location is through a democratic process. And there's a book called Honeybee Democracy that talks all about this. He even has a chapter in the book talking about how our nation's government could learn from the ways that bees um, communicate with one another. And what they do is they have a specific dance that when they decide that they think a certain location is great for their hive to move to, they will do a dance. And the more bees that are doing that same dance they have the more likely they are to choose that location so in a way bees actually vote wow <laughs> you are amazing i i love you because you remind me of i can see myself in you because whenever you get on something you're going to figure it out to the end i mean <laughs> there's just going to be no stone left unturned and i do that with other topics but i i have bees at the homestead and they're uh they're alive they're cared for mildly but I am always floundering and you are just fascinated. So bees teach us a lot on a practical level, but I don't think that's why you're so passionate about them. I follow your Instagram page. What's the new one called? Uh, Dreaming the Bee. 
dreaming the bee. And, and I also hear you talk a lot about tending to bees, but I think you call it bee guardianship rather than beekeeping. Can you t- talk a little bit about that and why you see your role that way? Well, I, um, I like to use the word bee guardian, and I will use the word beekeeper too, but I like to use the, the word guardian because I, bees don't really need us. Um, they actually do better without human intervention. So, um, you may say that you're not tending your hives, but sometimes that's better because when you open your hive, you are changing that environment. You are letting in cold air, you're taking away their clean propolis air. So really, we can do better for the bees by not opening their hives as much. Now, it is very important, especially in the beginning when you're learning what to look for, to open your hives and study it. But, you know, sometimes we can overdo it and cause a little bit too much stress on our bees. Um, But I particularly choose the word guardian because I feel like, you know, we are all on this planet and we all share this planet. And no, I don't truly believe it myself that any animal, plant, human has the better of something else. So I feel like we're all in this together and we should all take care of anything and everything that we can. And so that's why I use the word be guardian because I want to have a protective space for the bees. I'm not trying to keep them somewhere. I'm trying to protect them. So that's why I I choose that word. Um, Kind of like the, you know, police and fire officers, they protect and serve us. I like to feel like I'm trying to do that same thing for the bees. Instead of just keeping them for the honey that they can give you. Right, yeah. So my my goal is not really honey. Um, my goal for beekeeping is to deepen my relationship with the bees and nature to have a more... I guess, meditative and spiritual practice. And it is nice to have some wax and propolis and honey. (laughs) I can't wait to get your candles next week or this week. I hear you when you write and you talk about bees. You use reverent language to describe what you notice. It's it's like poetry. Can you translate to those listeners who won't ever be up close like you are with the bees why they evoke like a mystical, sacred feeling or understanding for you? Well, um, so... When I first, when I got my first hive, um, it was really kind of funny because my friend Sam McLemore from Bountiful Harvest Farms, I'd been talking to him for a year about bees and how I was studying them, and I had built myself a beehive and painted it all pretty, and then one morning on March, he calls me, and he's like, I have something for you, and I was like, what? And he's like, I got you some bees, and he just brought them right over, and I put them in my hive. And I found myself just sitting beside the hive, just listening to them hum. And it felt so peaceful. I love the way it smelled. I just just did not want to leave. I wanted to watch them. I wanted to listen and smell them. It was just, I was just entranced. And so when I started reading about um, beekeeping, there's a good book called The Sacred Bee. Um, it, it talks about how, especially in the yogic tradition, you hear that um, the the birth of the universe is 
the sound of om. So if you're in a yoga class, a lot of times you'll say the om sound together. Well, when you say that, you're, you're humming like a bee. Uh, and so this sound actually vibrates your vocal cords and your throat, and it activates your vagus nerve, which slows your heart rate, lowers your blood pressure, anxiety, lowers inflammation, and it brings you into your body and gives you a sense of grounding. So that is why I was experiencing so much um, pleasure and just this meditative feeling when I was sitting with the hive. And so when I found that out, I started just reading more and more about ancient cultures and beekeeping. And I, I grew up in a, a Catholic family, and so we always had lots of candles and incense and things like that in the church. And incense actually came from smoking bees, because a lot of times beekeepers will smoke the bees to kind of calm them down before entering the hive. Uh, and then, of course, we use candles in all churches all across um, the world and in homes to light the dark. So, um, you know, many monasteries, even still in the UK today, there's lots of research going on in monasteries for beekeeping. So it's just been, bees have been part of many cultural spiritual practices from the beginning to today. Um, and I, I just found that fascinating and I cannot read enough information about that because I just love it so much. I love that you're sharing it with us. I get excited just listening to you. Why does noticing the particular, and in your case, the particular is bees, but it might be different for other listeners. Why does that make us better able to understand larger patterns and even ourselves? Well, I think that they, they teach us to look beyond just ourselves. With them being a super organism, they teach us to think about the greater good, that we need a balance in the past, present, and future. That if we live in the past, then we're more likely to be, to be depressed. And if we live in the future, we're more likely to be anxious. And bees, they live in the present and they enjoy every moment of their lives, but they also acknowledge the past and learn from mistakes and they prepare for the future. So I think that, you know, living in the present can really help teach us to be better humans. Yeah. yeah. That's a pretty amazing lesson from some little creatures. Oh, can I add one more out. thing? Of course you can. <laughs> um, so I also wanted to mention that one way that bees teach us patience or teach us living in the moment is they encourage us to engage all of our senses. So when you walk up to a beehive, you listen for the sound of their hum. That tells you a lot of things like the health of the hive, if there's a queen and so on. And then you give a little knock on the door of the hive to know that you're coming in, let them know to be courteous. And then you open the hive and you smell their healing propolis. And I just, I actually keep a little jar, a little glass jar of propolis in my purse just to smell. Like when I'm feeling anxious or I just want a little boost. And then you open the hive and you look for things that might be unusual. 
and then you feel bees crawling on your fingers and you taste a bit of dripping honey from a comb. So they really encourage you to live in the moment and engage in all your senses. That's beautiful. What is next for you, Allie? Well, I, um, I will be continuing my studies on <laughs> ancient Greece and Europe and beekeeping. I'm You've really been to fascinated. You've conferences lately. <laughs> yeah. I, um, I will be going to Michael Bush's bee camp in May to work with him for a week. But I want to teach people about bees here. I um, want to grow my apiary. I'm looking for uh, someone who would help me host or would host my hives on their land, but I'm also trying to develop a backyard host a hive. So I would install a beehive in someone's yard and take care of it through the year and teach them a few things along the way. And then also my candle making and salves and doing some um, reusable wax wraps, things like that. Um, mm -hmm. That's what I see for my beekeeping future. and learning as much as possible that is so fun if people are interested in learning more about you where can they find you uh my website is www.dreamingthebee.com and my instagram is dreaming the bee that is great i'm going to put that in the link of the show notes so people can find you and i hope we can get you out of the homestead to teach some of this in the near future yes thank you so much Allie. have a good one you too thanks allison